wanted to start out and tell you a little bit about my family. My family, we've got five kids, and we've got all these little boys that have played Little League Baseball. And Little League Baseball is great. I love my kids. I love that they're in sports. I love that they do these things. Uh, this past spring, uh, uh, we had two kids playing baseball, and one of the boys, Hudson, was in the middle of a game. And so we're at the field. We're watching the game. And sometimes spring weather can be unpredictable. And so we're watching the game. It's great. And then it starts raining, like dumping cats and dogs, just pouring down on us. And uh, it's about a 10-minute break, and it's pouring on us. And my wife's like, I'm out of here. So she left me, and she said, you've got Hudson, and you've got Oliver, and you can stay and watch the game because it's going to resume in a few minutes. And, and it's cold. Like, I didn't bring a jacket that day. I didn't bring a blanket. So I'm sitting out there getting uh, wet and just cold, and the wind picks up. And again, it's that spring weather. We're watching the game, and the game gets over, and I'm like, yes, finally. I'm like, let's go, and I start running to the car. I'm like, I want to get in the car as quick as I can because there's one thing on my mind right now, and that is some warmth and a good cup of tea. Like, I'm ready for this right now. We get there. Now, we live about five minutes from the baseball field, so it's, you know, we're not too far. And I get to the house, and I pull in the driveway, and my phone rings. My wife's like, hey, honey, how is it? And I'm like, oh, it's good. She goes, um, good, uh, uh, where's Oliver? And I'm like, oh, he's in the back of the car. I couldn't understand why we show, she was so angry with me until I looked back. And Oliver, in the middle of the rain, he went and jumped puddles with his friends because that's what little boys do when they're out playing in the rain. And on my dash to go and get warm, I forgot probably what was the most important as a dad in that moment, my most important job was watching after my kids. And I forgot one of them at the baseball park. That's the truth. Oh, gosh, it's horrible. Isn't it easy for us to forget the, like, what's most important? Like, isn't it easy for us just to be going through life and we get distracted and we forget what's most important? Like, like maybe you go to the grocery store. My wife does this. She'll, she'll send me to the grocery store and she'll say, Kevin, I need... I need bread and butter. You know, th- those are the two things I need for dinner tonight. Can you go to the store and get some bread and butter? I'm like, oh, great. I love going to the store. And so I, I, I go to the store and I come back and I'm like, oh, honey, you should look like, look, I got this steak. It was on sale. And I'm like, look, look, I got this new creamer. This new creamer is going to be really good. It's going to make your coffee five times better. And I'm like, hey, look, I got you some ice cream. Look, a good husband. And there's some Starburst. Oh, and they got those, those taco-flavored Dorito chips. Those are back. I got some of those. And, and my wife, now she does the budgeting, so she's like, okay, this wasn't in the budget. But secondly, she goes, okay, well, where's the butter? Oh, gosh, gosh, darn it, darn it, darn it. Isn't it funny how we get easily distracted? How, how, how you have a simple thing. These are two things you got to keep priority that are important. And it's so easy to be distracted because there's a sale on meat and because there's those taco chips that are back in the grocery store aisle. It's funny how we have this ability to allow things that are less important to creep up and take over the place of things that are more important. In fact, as a pastor, um, I found the same thing happens in church. I find the same thing happens in our faith. I have the opportunity to meet with lots of people and talk to them about church and faith. And it's funny because when people are asking about the church, uh, these are the things that people want to usually know. They want to know, well, your worship. Is your worship, is it spirit-led or is it liturgical and structured and ordered? Like, what's your worship like? 
And then they want to know, well, you know, how do you interpret Revelation? And I'm like, I don't really know. Like, what I do know is Jesus is coming back, and I want to live like he's coming back. But, uh, man, there's just a lot there. Uh, people want to know, well, well, do you believe that beer and wine, do you believe they're sinful or not? It's a good question. Uh, people are like, hey, do you sing hymns? Because, like, I really want my kids to learn the hymns. I'm like, that's great. I want my kids to know Jesus. Like, I don't care what they're singing. I want them to know Jesus. Uh, and then I start talking philosophy of ministry. They want to know, well, does your church, do you do, assault, do, you do adult, adult Sunday school classes? Or do you do, like, home groups? Uh, you know, are you uh, an elder-led church or a deacon-led church or a staff-led church? Or, or they want to know all this philosophy of ministry uh, and these things. And uh, you kind of begin to wonder, like, okay, these are the things that are important. That's why we're talking about them, right? Like when someone comes and talks to you about your faith and talks to you about your church, isn't kind of the questions they ask you, isn't that helping clarify kind of what is most important to them? Because honestly, when I look at the, some of the conversations we have about our church, uh, not just ours specifically, but the church in general, the conversations are, well, how, how do we do this? The conversation is, well, my, my church doesn't do that. The conversation is, well, I can drink alcohol or I can't. Uh, the conversation is, uh, well, which political party do you align yourself with? You know, these are good things. I mean, I, I mean, but what happens is so many times we love to get together and talk about things that in the end are valuable, but they're not the most important. In fact, I would say they're not the main thing. I would say that some of these things, some of these issues are so far down the line, they're not, they're not even numbered. They don't have a number compared to how insignificant they are. And what about you? What about your own faith? When somebody would ask you, what is most important about your faith? What is most important about being a Christian? How would you answer that? Maybe another way to ask this is, is what do you talk most about, about in your faith? What are the central tenets? What are the found, core foundations of your faith? Some of the answers are, well, you've got to be a good person. You've got to obey God. You've got to obey what God says. You've got to follow the rules. Some will say, well, you've got to love God or you've got to uh, have belief in God. Some, some would say, well, it's going to church. My faith is, is built on going to church. Some would say it's, it's, it's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some would say you can't uh, smoke, you can't, you can't chew, you can't go with girls who do. And we allow these things to uh, dictate our faith. Some would say it's all about serving the community. It's about serving the poor. And these are not bad things. But I want to take a minute today and actually take a minute for the next couple of, of weeks and look at a series, a new series we're going to introduce about coming back to the main thing. Coming back to the, to the core of what Christianity is all about. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 um, uh, you can turn there if you have a Bible. If you need a Bible, slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back. They'll bring one to you. First, First Corinthians chapter 15. The apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And, and the church at Corinth sometimes gets a bad rap. They're kind of, they're, they're, they're a crazy church, whatever else uh, may be said of them. Um, they've got their struggles. And I would argue that their church is probably not that much different than ours or most churches. Most of our churches are filled with struggles challenges, things that we're dealing with. There's no perfect church. 
But the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he touches many topics that would be relevant for us today. He he touches uh, divisions and quarrels within the church. He calls the church to set aside their divisions and pursue unity. He writes to them about sexual immorality. He writes to them about lawsuits among believers. Again, you want to have unity in the church, so let's deal with lawsuits. He deals with marriage and singleness. Um, He writes to the church at Corinth about their freedom in Christ, how God has given us freedom. He writes to them about having an order in worship. He writes to them and and he instructs them on the significance of the Lord's Supper, the significance of communion, of the elements, of understanding what Christ has done for us. Uh, uh, Paul instructs them on the right use of the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts that God gives us, how is... And again, none of these things are bad. These are all good things. These are things that churches need to have these conversations about. But towards the end of this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what the Apostle Paul writes to them and I think also to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 says, Now I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. And here's the, here's the kicker. He says, for I delivered to you as a first importance that which I also received. Like, here's the apostle Paul. Like, he wrote 75% of, of the New Testament. And he's saying, listen, out of all the things I've written to you, All the things I've said to you, listen, this is a first important. This is the most important thing. This is the main thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He says all these other things that we're going to talk about, all these other concerns, they're good. But listen, here's the main thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to understand, this is what I want us to, to walk away with today, is that we would understand that the gospel should be the core foundation of a person's life and faith. Wherever you are, coming in the church today, trying to figure out Christianity, you've been a Christian a long time, I don't know where you stand. I want you to understand that the gospel has got to be the core foundation of everything that you believe. And it's got to be the core foundation of your life. In fact, there's a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People written by Stephen Covey. And one of the things that he, he wrote, and I think this is great, he said, the greatest enemy is best. The greatest enemy of, of what's best is what's good. And I think that's probably true of our faith, where we take things that are good and we put them into a place that they don't belong. We make them the main thing. And what the Apostle Paul would want us to hear today is we've got to not allow the things that are good to become best. We've got to allow the gospel to be the core foundation, the main thing. So today... We're starting this series called Gospel-Centered Life, where we're going to be able to have a number of conversations about what it looks like for us to be a church that keeps the gospel as our identity, that keeps the gospel as the core foundation, as, as the central tenet of our, of our church, how we can keep the gospel as the central tenet of our faith and of our life, and how we can live a, a gospel-centered life. You know, I know... Uh, some of you have been in church a, a while. And I've had this conversation with people that have come in. They've said, hey, you know that gospel thing? I get it. Like I received the gospel. I prayed. I received it. I'm a Christian. Like gospel's low. Like, 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 like that, that's Christianity 101. 
Pastor, now I'm ready to go deeper. Pastor, I'm ready for like Christianity 201 and 301. And I'm ready to go deeper in my faith. Again, I want us to understand we don't, we don't ever graduate from the gospel. That's not the way it works. Everything in our faith, everything in our church, everything I would say in our life is centered around the gospel. All those things are built on that foundation. And that's something we have to understand. The gospel is the anchor for stability. The gospel is the thing that everything we do and everything we believe should be tethered to the anchor of the gospel. Now, when you're beginning this conversation, I think one of the things to do is, is say, well, what, uh, why is this important? I mean, if we're going to say the gospel is supposed to be the foundational thing of our faith, why is the gospel so important? Why has it got to be this foundation? Well, obviously, we would, I, would, I would say that the gospel is a power of salvation. It is a power of life and death. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's true. But there's so much more that goes into the gospel. There's so much more power that comes in it. In the gospel, in the gospel, uh, there is power for a changed life. In the gospel, there is power for our future. The gospel has the power to break down walls of separation. Through the gospel, there is power to, to uh, heal what's broken. In fact, when we look at our life, when we look at the faith that we want to have and the hope that we want to have and uh, the confidence and the security, listen, those things are all found in the gospel. When we think about wanting to have a, a change in life, I mean, this is why we come to church. We come to church because we want to grow in our faith. We come to church because we want to see change in our life. We come to church because we want to know God. Listen, those things are all rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why it's so important that we get this main thing right. Because if we get this main thing right, if we get this foundation, man, if we get that foundation of the gospel right, there's a lot of grace in our lives. There's a lot of freedom that we experience. There's a lot of friendship that comes from the gospel being the center of our life. But you know what happens when we get it wrong? You know what happens when we don't allow the gospel to be the core of our foundation? Man, there's a lack of grace. There's a lot of judgment. And truly, there's not many genuine friendships within that. This is why we've got, to, we've got to ensure that we are building our life and our church and our faith and our foundation on the main thing. The thing that the Apostle Paul says is of first importance. So I think the other thing I want to do today is I want to say, well, what is the gospel? I mean, uh, many of us probably have an idea of what the gospel is. But what is the gospel? In fact, the word gospel is actually a Roman word. The Romans used this word, and they used it as terms of good news. You could say the gospel is good news. Uh, this was a term that would be applied to any historical event of significance that changed the course of history for those whom it was proclaimed. So for, the, for an example, a king would go out to war. Uh, the king's country is being attacked. The king would go to war. If the king lost the battle, they lost the war, uh, they've been invaded, they've been taken over, what the king would do is he would send generals out into the villages and in, into the towns. And, and the general would prepare the people, hey, you need to prepare for war. He said, we've lost the battle. And because we lost the battle, the enemy is going to advance and going to try and take you captive. He's going to try, try and take your cities and your towns. You need to prepare to fight for your own life. 
Your livelihood, your hope, your future is in your hands because the king's army has been defeated. On the other hand, if that king won that battle, if that king had a great victory, that king would send messengers to proclaim the good news throughout the cities and the villages and the towns. Notice he sends messengers, not generals telling you prepare for war. He sends messengers to carry the good news. To say, hey people, hey villages, hey towns, listen. Your livelihood, your hope, your future is secured on your behalf by the king. By someone else. Even though you've never lifted a finger. You can rest secure because of what the king has done for you. The early Christians took this word of gospel and said, you know what? That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. That is the good news that Jesus, our king, has secured on our behalf. Our hope for the future. Our livelihood for today. And that is good news. That is where the word gospel comes from. So how would we define what the gospel is? That's, the gospel is good news. What is that good news? And this is a great thing because the Apostle Paul, with a pastoral heart, uh, he reminds those Corinthians, hey, this is of first importance. And what he does, and what we're going to look at today, is he's going to give us two verses. And he's going to say, listen, this is what the gospel is. Here is the gospel that I preached to you before. This is the foundation of your faith. This is most important. And he's going to give us probably one of the clearest summaries of what the good news of Jesus Christ is. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can keep, uh, stay there. We're going to look at verse, starting in verse 3. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. For, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. He starts with Jesus. The gospel, it starts with Jesus. This is the, the first element of the gospel is Jesus. Now, we understand who Christ Jesus was. This was not just a man. This was God in the flesh. This was God coming down to live on the earth as one of us. And he lived in perfect obedience to God. He was, in every way, he was perfectly pleasing. He was absolutely faithful. He was entirely obedient to everything that God asked of him. In fact, uh, the author of Hebrews says, uh, he says, for we do not have a high priest, meaning Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That is what makes Jesus so significant. That's what makes Jesus so marvelous. Because he's done something that nobody else could ever do. He lived a perfect life. And the first part of understanding the elements of the gospel, we've got to understand who Christ is. That Christ Jesus is God in the flesh who came and lived the life that none of us could live. So we recognize who he is. But the second thing we have to do, the second element of the gospel is to recognize who we are. Again, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. See, we understand who Christ is. He's the sinless son of God. And we have to understand who we are. We're sinners. We are sinners. Now, again, trying to make sure that we do this very foundational today. What is sin? That's one of the questions many of us are going to ask. Well, what is sin? Matt Chandler, who's the president of uh, the Acts 29 
church planning network who uh, we are a part of. Matt Chandler gave a very simple definition of sin. He said, sin is the elevation of anything other than God to ultimate. Okay, sin is when we elevate anything other than God to be ultimate or, or, or top in our life. Okay? He, he would describe it like this. He said, uh, God created everything in the earth. We look at all that we have in this world. God created everything. God created uh, the air that we breathe. He created the oceans. He created the stars. God created sex. God created marriage. God created children and work and family. God created everything. And he gave them to us ultimately for his glory. All these things that we have on this earth, the, 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 the stars, the beach, the mountains, uh, all the things that we enjoy, God gave them to us for his glory. That we would enjoy his creation and recognize the gift from the creator and that we would worship him as the creator. Listen, that is the reason for everything we have on this world. That is the reason for everything good. The problem is sin came into the world. And sin is at any moment that when we take things that God has given us to worship him, To recognize who he is. Sin is when we take those things and say, I'm going to worship the creation instead of the creator. So instead of taking something that God gave for me to to enjoy and to worship him with. As we take that thing, we make that the God. We make that the thing that we worship. Instead of God. Now I know some of you are sitting here saying, "Well, well, I thought sin was like. You know, lying and and, and cussing and stealing and all those things. And yes, that's true. But when you understand sin, where it comes from, listen, those are symptoms of something deeper. And when you look at those sins of your life, these are the easy ones to point out. Hey, you're cussing. That's wrong. Hey, you're, 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 you're lying. That's wrong. I mean, those are easy things to point out, but they're not going deep enough to understand what the core thing uh, deeper that is causing that so based on chandler's explanation let me let me tell you how this works Uh, what is the thing in your life what is the thing in your life that you work for the you work the most for what is the thing in your life if you're looking and saying man if i just had this man life would be great if i if i just had uh, love if i could just be loved man I'd, i'd be i'd be at peace i'd be satisfied if I, could, if I could just have family, if I just had family around me, man, then I'd be, I'd be set. If I, could just have, uh, if I could just have that perfect job, that ideal job, the fulfilling job, the job that I love, the job I want to wake up and go to every day, if I just had that, then, man, then I'd be set, then I'd be happy, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had enough money, if I just had rest, if I could just relax, if I could just retire, What is that thing that you think, man, this would just make life great? For example, money. If for you it's money, if you just had enough money, then life would be easy. You'd be satisfied. You'd be pleased. Listen, if money is what you are after, if money is that most important thing that's going to give you value, listen, then you have to do everything you can to get money, right? Like, if that's the one thing that's most important to you, if that's one thing that's going to give you satisfaction, then you have to find any way you can to get it. If you have to lie, if you have to cheat, if you have to steal, and those things are all on board because, again, what's the goal? Money. And you can do whatever you can to get it. Now, listen, I would say money in itself is not evil. 
but we, but by making it evil, by by but by making it uh, ultimate, that's when we fall into sin. And you begin to think through, think about think about the times that you lie. Why do you lie? You lie because you don't want to get caught. You lie because you want people's approval. You lie because you want something from someone. Again, this is where we have to understand. We have to go deeper and understand the core of what sin is. Sin is when we take something that is not ultimate, something that God has given to us for us to recognize who he is, and that's when we make that ultimate. That is what sin is, foundationally. And whether it's money or whether it's sex or whether it's your family or your popularity and acceptance, whether it's your grades, whether it's your job, all these things are good. All these things God has given, and they're not evil. But when we take those things and we put them as ultimate, that is where sin creeps into our life. And why is this significant? Because sin brings a penalty with it. Sin brings a penalty of death. God demands of us perfection. He he demands nothing less than perfection. And so our sin puts us in a difficult spot. Our sin puts us in a difficult spot that we are deserving of God's wrath. We are deserving of God's judgment because all of us in here, whether we lie or cheat or steal, all of us are guilty of taking something other than God and making it ultimate in our life. But again, the gospel is good news. And here's the good news. The apostle Paul says, for I delivered to you as a first importance that which I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That Christ died for our sins. And that's the good news right there. See, there's this theological term. I know some of you are not really concerned with some of these theological terms, but I think it's a good opportunity to, to teach you what this is. And this is what theologians would call the substitutionary atonement. This refers to the doctrine that Christ died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. That when Jesus went to the cross, and and as Jesus died for us, he takes the cup of God's wrath upon himself. The cup that you deserve. Jesus takes that cup upon himself, and he took every last drop. Do you understand that? Like on the cross, it's not like Jesus said, hey, I'm going to take some of this cup and I'm going to leave some of it for you. No, Jesus took every last drop so there is no cup of God's wrath, no, no amount of God's wrath left for you. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus took our sin upon himself. He took God's wrath upon himself. So, so much that God himself turned his back on his own son. And now because of what Jesus has done, God doesn't view us in light of our sin. He views us in light of Jesus' perfect life. Where Jesus has said, listen, I'll take your sin-filled life and I'll give you my righteousness. I'll take your brokenness and I'll give you my perfection. This is that substitutionary atonement. What Christ has done for us. And it is incredibly powerful. Because this is where peace comes from. You know where peace comes from? 
It doesn't come from trying to, to do enough and trying to be a good person. Peace comes from what Christ has done for us. Uh, Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we experience what Christ has done for us, when we understand the depth of love that he has, that he took that entire cup of wrath, that there's no judgment left for me, that there becomes no condemnation left for us. No longer are we guilty before God. Now we are justified. Now we are made right with him. And that brings peace. That our moral failure does not hinder our relationship with God because Jesus has, has taken the full brunt of our judgment. The fourth element of the gospel here in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, Paul says, uh, I delivered to you what was first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. In verse 4, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. See, what's intriguing is you often hear people talk about the gospel. And, and we often hear, well, Jesus lived and died for you. Jesus lived and died for you. And that's good. But that's not the way that the scriptures, that's not the way the Bible, that's not the way that the apostle Paul would describe the gospel. He would always point to Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave. Jesus' death and resurrection are not two events. They're one single event. They're in the resurrection that proves that Jesus overcame sin and death. The resurrection is, is the victory. Hey, we've done this. We've accomplished this. Again, Romans um, uh, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, the result of sin is death. And if we have any sin in us, this is what the result is. And if Jesus had even one sin left in him, the wages of sin is death, he would still be dead today. But when Jesus walked out of that grave that was meant to entomb him forever, listen, Jesus changes, changed the script of humanity. Where what was once permanent is now made Temporary. And life bursts forth out of that tomb from him to us. That is what the resurrection means. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul, he goes on to prove, hey, listen, the resurrection wasn't just some slick trick that Jesus and his disciples tried to pull uh, over people's eyes. He didn't try and trick them and maybe the disciples. No, he actually says, Jesus, he appeared to all of his disciples. Jesus appeared to 500 Christians at one time after his resurrection. The Apostle Paul wants us to recognize, listen, the resurrection really happened. It's not like there's some magic trick going on. No, Jesus rose from the grave. He ate fish. I would have had a big old steak, but he chose fish. And he ate fish. And he, he walked amongst the people. And, and he saw them. And he said, you can touch my hands. You can feel my side. The resurrection. Those are the elements of the gospel. Those are the foundations of our faith. Do we understand that? Do you understand what the gospel is? You know, one of the things that becomes sad, and I heard this at a church a couple years ago. The pastor was doing some baptisms, and, and it was interesting. He had these uh, young adults that would get baptized. He said, man, uh, there were four people that got baptized that day. 
one of them, she came from like a, a Wiccan witch background. It was kind of weird and scary. And he's like, it was great. He said, the other three people said, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. I learned all the songs. I went to the Awana program. I did all the church stuff. But I never heard the gospel. Again, we talked about all the things that are good. But we missed the main things. As now as young adults, they're coming and saying, listen, I've heard this for the first time. What Jesus has done for us. That my salvation, that my faith isn't based on me being a good person. Isn't based on me going to church. Isn't it based on me just believing in God. It's based on what Jesus has done for me. Listen, I don't want that to be said of anyone in this room here today. That they didn't understand what the gospel was. They'd never heard it before. If you're a Christian here today, I'm going to give you a little bit of assignment. Give you a little bit of homework. I want you to to look at these elements of the gospel, of uh, of Jesus, of our sinfulness, of his death on the cross and his resurrection. I want you to do this. I I want you to summarize what the gospel is. I want you to do this in your own words. I want you to do it in 50 words or less. I was going to have, actually have you do it in 140 characters. I couldn't do that. I tried. I, the lowest I got was 145 characters, and I felt like I missed some things. So I want you to do this this week. I want you to take a few minutes and sit down. I want you to write for yourself, what is the gospel? 50 words or less. What is the gospel? This is something I want you to, to think on. I want you to memorize. I want you to understand that the, the, the core foundation of your faith is that gospel message. Here's, here's what I wrote. Again, it's not 140 characters. I couldn't get it down that far. I wrote, Jesus, God in the flesh, died in place of sinners, and rose from the grave, offering eternal and abundant life to those who put their faith in him. Simplicity of the gospel. We don't have to make it difficult. We don't have to make it about political parties. We don't have to make it about, are we, you're reformed or not. We don't have to make it about, do you believe in the spiritual gifts or not. We don't have to make it about, do you believe in alcohol or not. Now, here's what the gospel is. This is the first importance. This is the most important thing that you hear from the church. Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ raised from the grave. This is what defines the church. This is what defines Christianity. Christianity is not just a bunch of people who, who, who believe the same thing and observe religious rituals together. No, Christianity is a new group of people, a new humanity centered around the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. That, that, that Jesus and his message, that these ideas of the gospel, the church, listen, It's not here to condemn you. Wherever, whatever brought you to church today, listen, God is not here to condemn you. He's not here to judge you. That's not why Jesus died. Listen, I'm not up here teaching you the Bible because I think I'm better than you. Because I'm not. And none of us in this room are better than you as well. I'm not up here trying to tell you you need to live your life my way. I'm up here trying to point you to the cross. Point you to what's of first importance. 
that Christianity is essentially pointing us to the cross for what Jesus has done for us. That genuine Christianity is walking the way of the cross, allowing God, what God has done for us to be the core of our faith, the core of our being, the core of our church. Again, let me just remind us why this matters. God offers us salvation through the gospel. He offers us eternal life. And not only that, we're going to see in the coming weeks that through the gospel, the life change that we want, the change in our life, the change in our marriage, the change in our family, the change in our workplace, the change in ourselves, it doesn't happen just because we try harder. It happens as the gospel takes root in our heart and in our life. That that faith, that hope, that security, that confidence that we long for, it isn't found from, from trying harder. It's found from allowing the gospel to take root. That the motivation for us to live right and the purpose in our life doesn't come from our political party. It comes from the gospel. That through the gospel, that there'd be walls that would be torn down, that the broken things would be restored. There's a lot of good things in our faith. Man, it would be foolish for us to settle on what's good and miss out on what's best. Gospel-centered life. Close with this last idea. There's a, a, a pastor that we uh, got to hear from at man camp this past year. Uh, pastors of a church called Emmanuel uh, back in Tennessee. And their mantra at their church says this. It says, I'm a complete idiot. It's my sinfulness. I'm a complete idiot. But my future is incredibly bright because of the gospel. And the last part of it is anyone can get in on this. I'm a complete idiot. My future is incredibly bright and anyone can get in on this. Listen, can I invite you to get in on this? If you don't know Jesus today, if you haven't understood the gospel, I invite you to get in on this. John chapter 1 says, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Listen, I invite you to get on to this and maybe you prayed a prayer. Maybe that's how you do it. And we can pray, I'll pray a prayer with you. But Marcia, would you make a decision in your heart that you will fully surrender to God? That you would put him first and foremost in your life? That you will base your identity, you will base your salvation, not on what you've done, but what Christ has done for you. That your sin is paid in full because Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave. Listen, if you're a Christian in here today, what are the things that you've built your life around? All those things that you've built your life around, is the gospel number one in your life? Is the gospel that core foundation that everything else flows out of? Do you live it? Do you breathe it? Do you practice it? Does it impact the way that you live? Pastor C.J. Mahaney said this for Christians. If there's anything in life that we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. And I don't mean passionate only about sharing it with others. I mean passionate about thinking about it, dwelling on it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way that we look at the world. Only one thing can be first importance to each of us. 
and it only ought to be the gospel. Listen, let's today decide to be a gospel-centered church. Let's decide today for every one of us that we would allow the gospel to be the center of our faith. Let's decide today that we would allow the gospel to be the center of our life. Let's pray.